Hello, welcome to Keeping Up The Pace. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Stephen Pace, and it's great to have you listening. Just a reminder that you can now find us on iTunes, so if you search for Keeping Up The Pace, subscribe and leave a review or a question, that'd be great. You can also find us on Twitter, at Keep Up The Pace, or on Facebook, at Keeping Up The Pace. And if you'd like to read some of my content on the RAW website, you can find it at theraw.com.au slash pacey. This week, we won't have a guest, but we're going to go through the NFL games from last week, preview the best games for the coming week, and then for the NBA, we're going to do 30 teams in 30 minutes and spend a minute or so on each NBA team, discuss the early season storylines and a stat for each team as well. So starting with the NFL Week 10 games... The first one we previewed last week was the Tennessee Titans and the New England Patriots. The Titans won this in convincing style, 34-10. to So former Patriot assistant coaches now go 2-for-2 two two against New England this season. And the Pats slipped to the number three seed in the AFC. Now to go on the road and win potentially in Pittsburgh and Kansas City would probably prove to be beyond even the great Tom Brady. So they need to find their way back into the top two. As for the Titans, this puts them in with a real chance of making the playoffs now. Uh, the very, very strong defense, and Marcus Mariota is proving to improve every week, so they're in with a real chance to make the playoffs. The New Orleans Saints, 51, defeated the Cincinnati Bengals, 14. I thought this would be a little bit closer, but in reality, it was just a Super Bowl favorite smashing a mediocre team. Drew Brees is a prohibitive MVP favorite now. Michael Thomas is a dominant wide receiver who often doesn't need to be dominant because his team is so good. But when he has to, he steps up to the plate. Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara are amazing one-two punch at running back, and the defense is also firing. On the Cincinnati side of the ball, Andy Dalton struggled without AJ Green, and the Bengals head into a game we're going to preview later on with their season on the line. The Buffalo Bills 41 defeated the New York Jets 10. Now, this game was trending towards being one of the lowest scoring games in history with terrible offences. Uh, as it turns out, it raises a lot of questions about the Jets. So Matt Barkley on the Buffalo side of the ball proved to be very capable, but Josh McCown was an embarrassment. LaShawn McCoy was back to close to his best, and Buffalo walk away knowing that they'll avoid criticism for at least another week, while the Jets are now mired in futility and probably find Sam Darnold would be better off sitting out the remainder of the year. The LA Rams 36 defeated the Seattle Seahawks 31. The Seahawks fought and fought in this game, but came up just short. Now, the Rams recovered from a loss to the New Orleans Saints last weekend. It's the fifth time they've won their last six games, but all five of those wins have been by five points or less. So they're towing a line, and they lost wide receiver Cooper Cup to a season-ending ACL injury, which is a real blow. They now take on the Kansas City Chiefs in a massive game. Massive game. And if the Rams want to have any chance of catching New Orleans for the number one seed, they need to win this game. The Indianapolis Colts, 29, defeated the Jacksonville Jaguars, 26. The Colts jumped the Jags and held on behind Andrew Luck, who's been remarkable this season and may actually be in the top five conversation for MVP. Blake Bortles is exactly what we thought he was, which is just not very good. The Jags, in reality, choked away a Super Bowl berth last season. They had the Patriots on their knees in the AFC Championship game at Foxborough, 
before ultimately losing. And now, having been so close to glory, they're staring down the barrel of a wasted season. So, for the coming week, we're going to preview a few games. The first one will be Pittsburgh at Jacksonville. The form team of the league, along with the Saints, is probably Pittsburgh, who are humming offensively. They learnt this week that Le'Veon Bell will not return at all. Now, that would normally cause a huge problem for them, but James Connor, the Terminator, has been outstanding and has done everything Bell would do, and arguably more. The Jags have been putrid, but this is their last chance. So they famously won in Pittsburgh in last season's playoffs in a shootout, but they are not anywhere near the team they were, and the Steelers will win this game 38-24. to The Cincinnati Bengals travel to Baltimore in a divisional game where both sides are on their last chance. So the wild card spot will be a realistic chance in a pretty weak division for the winner, but the loser can start planning for next season. So Baltimore's Super Bowl winning quarterback Joe Flacco is under an injury cloud. We may see the debut of the prodigious Lamar Jackson, rushing sensation at quarterback. If he doesn't play and Flacco does, it might actually turn out worse for Baltimore. The return of AJ Green won't quite tip the scales here, as I can see Baltimore winning 24-21. The Minnesota Vikings travel to Chicago to take on the Bears, and again, another key divisional game, and the winner probably wins this division, whereas the loser will be in a real dogfight for a wildcard spot. Interestingly, these two teams have combined to play just three teams with winning records all season, and they're 0-3 against those teams. So one of them will break that mould this week, as both teams have winning records. Chicago have smashed poor teams and done it really well behind a strong offense, sorry, strong defense and an improving Mitch Trubisky, but Minnesota are a better team. And Mitch will get a reality check as the Vikings will win 27-20. The game of the season, offensively at least, will probably take place on Monday night, as the Rams host the Chiefs. So... Where teams are punting the ball, this will be a huge disadvantage. Even kicking field goals probably is going to count against them a bit. So this should be a touchdown fest, to be honest. Patrick Mahomes and Jared Goff should dominate the game from their respective quarterback positions. Kansas City's running defense is historically bad. Todd Gurley could well rush for 250 yards. That may not be saying too much. You can flip a coin for me, but I've got it coming up as the hometown Rams winning 45-42. to 42. And in the last game, we're going to look at the Houston Texans at the Washington Redskins. So you can look at records and see that they're both 6-3, but this is probably the two least deserving playoff teams, as things stand at the moment. Washington have not had a lead change in a game of theirs this season. So they've won six games, lost three, and in each of those games... The leader has gone wire to wire, which is an incredible stat. The Texans have won six in a row after starting 0-3, and they'll make it seven in a row here as they win 17-14. to So that covers the NFL this week. We'll now move over to the NBA. And as I said, we're going to do 30 teams in 30 minutes, so we're going to go quick fire through these teams. In alphabetical order, we're going to start with the Atlanta Hawks. So John Collins, who's probably their most promising young player, has been injured, returned today, but his loss has been huge. Tayshawn Prince and Kent Bazemore are two very capable players, but very inconsistent. 
And rookie Trey Young has started reasonably well, but the reality is he'll face a career where he's compared to Luka Doncic in Dallas. He's going to be under a huge amount of pressure. They're 3-13. and 13. They're comfortably the bottom two in the conference. The stat for Atlanta, Kevin Huerta is the only rotational Hawks player with a positive plus-minus on the season. The Boston Celtics, they've been slow starters. Gordon Haywood is more likely suited to a bench role at this stage as there's only one ball, but it is all about Kyrie Irving. Yesterday, against Toronto, he was brilliant. He remains one of the top three players in the league as far as quality goes when he's on his game, especially offensively. Every other player in that team needs to understand that it's Kyrie's team and accept the role for the young guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, who had so much opportunity last year. They just need to accept that they need to take a back seat now. The win over Toronto, which was a huge win in overtime last night, was cancelled out by a pretty solid loss to Utah today at home. So Boston have the th third best defense in the league and the best defensive rating in the league, but just the 24th best scoring offense, and they'll need to resolve that. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown and Gordon Haywood all shoot under 41% from the field, which again, there's some problems there. The Brooklyn Nets, so their best player, Karis LeVert, will miss two to three months with a pretty serious ankle injury. It might buy the franchise a bit of leeway in a way because at some stage, they need to start winning. They've been given a free pass in a lot of ways. They've been a debacle ever since they made the infamous trade with the Celtics involving Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce all those years ago. D'Angelo Russell and Spencer Dimwitty are probably their best two players and both play the same position, which is problematic. They have nine players who average 20-plus minutes a game, but no player averaging 30 minutes a game. The Charlotte Hornets, unfortunately their owner might be the most famous basketball in history, but they're an irrelevant franchise. Kemble Walker started the season on fire, had really been dropping away, but then, speaking of dropping, went and dropped 60 today on the Philadelphia 76ers. But as they tend to do, the Hornets lost. So to have your franchise player and arguably the best player in franchise history score 60 and lose at home, that's a real kick in the guts. They turned the ball over the least amount in the league, but it just seems more of the same and they won't be making playoffs this year. Malik Monk and Mikhail Bridges do give some hope. And they're the guys, along with Walker, that they'll need to set the team up behind. Kemba is one of only three players in the league to attempt 10 three-pointers per game. The other two, Steph Curry and James Harden. Move to the Chicago Bulls. Zach Levine has been massive. He's the usage monster. The ball goes through him virtually every play. Wendell Carter Jr. is a gun for a kid. He's been very, very good. But Laurie Markin and Chris Dunn, both being injured has been a huge hole, really. Bobby Portis has also been injured. There's a short rotation of players available if Chicago want to play NBA-quality players. Jabari Parker does nothing much except score and pout. There could be some moves on the horizon, and Chicago had two of the top ten players in the league in minutes played per game, being Levine and Justin Holiday. The Cleveland Cavaliers. I'm not sure what's happening here. So there was a coaching change. Ty Lu was sacked early in the year. He only got five games, which I thought was pretty strange. I mean, I'm not sure that Lu's an excellent coach, but 
you need to give him more than five games with LeBron gone. They've gone all in on Colin Sexton and Larry Nance, and they're probably the two best players on the Cavs already. Now, that's a big call, especially in Sexton's case, but we're talking about arguably the least talented roster in the league when you talk about Kevin Love being hurt. Chetty Osman started really well, but has dropped away. Jordan Clarkson will continue shooting. Tristan Thompson is showing a pulse, which is probably more than we would have expected from him. But overall, the Cavs are headed for a sub-25 win season. And they're actually blocking less shots per game than Hassan Whiteside, Anthony Davis, or JaVale McGee are themselves. Dallas Mavericks. Luka Doncic is cruising. Uh, the critics are waiting on him to fail because he's not athletic. But that's shit, to be honest. He's a gun. Again today, in a huge win against the Golden State Warriors. Without Curry and Green, but still the Warriors. Doncic was outstanding again. Dennis Smith Jr. is struggling a little. Um, they need the great man Dirk Nowitzki back, I think, to offer an extra dimension. Having said that, they have won four straight behind a very strong offense. And Dallas, as a successful franchise with a strong culture, may be able to rebuild on the fly. And when you've got Doncic, I think the future is very bright. They're the only side in the league to have four players averaging more than 30 minutes a game. The Denver Nuggets are 1-5 in their last six after starting 9-1. So Nikola Jokic has dropped away significantly. He has had a couple of little niggling injuries that seem to be hanging around, and he can't seem to shake them. The loss of Will Barton has been huge because Denver are light on. Having said that, every other rotation player has virtually played every game, and they can't find a good mix. Jamal Murray's been benched for Monty Morris. Trey Lyles is reasonably consistent off the bench, but Denver, they don't want to miss a chance here because I think that number two seed in the West is wide open. And they need to make sure they get out of this slump really quickly. Tory Craig, former NBL player, is the only regular Denver rotation player with a negative plus minus. So the Detroit Pistons. Well, Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin, you can't say enough about those guys. Some would think that they might have struggled to coexist. But arguably the form two front court teammates in the league. Um, the win in Toronto was a huge win as we get to the Raptors later on. That's a massive win for Detroit. They're 7-6, and six, but outside of those two stars, there's just more questions and answers. The Reggie Jackson and Reggie Bullock are just so-so NBA players. They're a very poor shooting team. They rank last in three-point percentage and second last in three-pointers attempted, so they're not even trying, I guess, to play that up-tempo three-point game. As long as Drummond and Griffin are playing and fit, they'll be around the mark for the eighth seed, but largely irrelevant. The Golden State Warriors, well, it's like a soap opera. We know what kind of bloke Draymond Green is. I mean, you, if you YouTube Draymond Green kicking the nuts, you see that a guy has a habit of doing it, and you can't accidentally be the bloke he is. But for him to get on Kevin Durant like he did in the game against the Clippers the other day was strange, even for him. And I mean, for a guy to get fined $120,000 and suspended by the team just for words, there's a bit of smoke around that maybe they're looking to trade Draymond, which would be really interesting. They'll cruise to the title anyway, I think, especially once Curry gets back and firing, but it could be really interesting if they fight like children all season and they happen to drop down to, say, a three or a four seed, then they're going to put themselves under a huge amount of pressure, but... 
the reality is the path to the title still goes clearly through them. They still lead the league in shooting percentage assists and three-pointers made. And they rank second in field goals made, despite being just 17th in attempts made. So they're just the team we all know they are, with a little more drama. If we go to their Western Conference foes from last year, Houston, there's a lot of drama. The Carmelo Anthony situation was well, a disaster, to be honest. So for a guy to likely get into the Hall of Fame and have slipped so far in a few years is amazing. Like he's pretty much played himself out of the league now. Um, Harden has been slow to start. Chris Paul has been as well. But they're finding their way. They've won three straight. And they'll win enough games to be a top four seed in the West. The depth is a little bit of an issue. Um, no Trevor Ariza and Luke Mbamute may be problematic. They're relying on PJ Tucker a lot. So a very solid player, Tucker. And he's ranks fifth in minutes played per game. But second last in turnovers. And second lowest in usage of the top 50 of those guys who minutes played per game. So he's on the court all the time and does very, very little wrong. Indiana Pacers, they're quietly third in the East. They've got a strong defense and an offense that runs through Victor Oladipo and DeMontis Sabonis off the bench. Their eight-man rotation is very consistent, very solid and underrated, and they'll be a very tough playoff out. They were last season pushing LeBron all the way in the first round. I think they're probably headed for a top four seed this year. And if Turner, sorry, Miles Turner and DeMontis Sabonis can play together, then Indiana have a real chance to go deep into the playoffs. Sabonis leads the league in bench double-doubles. He's a machine off the bench. We head to LA and we'll start with the Clippers, who are the league's most surprising team. Shea Gilgis-Alexander was picked 13th in the draft. He is a star already. Having watched him play, you can just see he knows how to play basketball. He's a very good fit for their team. Tobias Harris, likewise, is a very good player. The question is whether they've caught the opposition off guard or this is what they are, which is a 48-52 to win team over the season. I tend to think the lack of a true star is going to cost them because they are going to turn to Harris as a closer or Sweet Lou Williams, speaking of Lou. He ranks 5th in field goals attempted per minute behind Steph Curry, Kemba Walker, Russell Westbrook and Victor Oladipo. So you know that Lou's going to chuck, but come playoffs, I don't know that they have enough quality to win a series or probably win more than a game in a series. Over the other side of LA, or the other side of the Staples Centre, I guess, the LA Lakers. So they dropped a real bad loss to Orlando today but have still won six of their last eight games. JaVale McGee is a quality centre. Tyson Chandler adds toughness and defence. I think there's a move to make here with Kyle Kuzma and Brandon Ingram. They are two guys who may be good in three, four, five years' time, but I don't think LA can afford to wait on both of them. Lonzo Bill's very good. If you look at the box score, sometimes he doesn't look good, but he's a very good basketballer knows what to do, and he will benefit greatly from Rajan Rondo breaking his hand. LeBron is the only player in the league to lead his teams in points, rebounds, and assists per game. Now on to the Memphis Grizzlies. If the LA Clippers aren't the biggest shock of the season, then Memphis definitely are. Grit and grind is alive and well behind Marcus Gasol and Mike Conley. One might think it's 2011 again. 
but Shelvin Mack has been huge off the bench. Kyle Anderson has found himself a true home. He may be the epitome of Memphis basketball. And who knows, they could well push for a spot in the playoffs if Conley and Gasol stay fit. It's the second least effective offense, but the best defense. They allow the least field goals and play at the slowest pace. It's not pretty, but so far it's been very effective. The Miami Heat are a strange team. They're an elite, they have an elite coach, but the mix of players just doesn't seem right. They lack a superstar. Josh Richardson is jumping up the charts. Hassan Whiteside plays like a superstar often, but he's just inconsistent otherwise. He's either dominant or he's putrid. I don't know if there's a trade to be made here or if they live with battling for the eighth seed and then just really being an easy first round out. They're all in for Jimmy Butler, failed on that, so they'll just have to sit and wait. They don't have one player in the top 70 in usage in the NBA. We head over to the Milwaukee Bucks now. So you ask the question, how critical is a great coach? Mike Budenholzer is a very good NBA coach. And in just 15 games, he looks to have turned this Milwaukee team around. I mean, they do have arguably the best player in the league at the moment, Giannis Antetokounmpo. They also ha always have had the length. But now with Brook Lopez and Ursan Ilyasova, they have shooters playing center. And when you add those guys to Giannis, Eric Bledsoe, Chris Middleton, and Malcolm Brogdon, this is the most versatile team in the league. Definitely the most versatile team in the country. So we'll talk about another team later on. They could well get the number one seed in the East. And I think they create the biggest matchup headaches for Golden State, as we saw last week when they shredded the Warriors in Oracle. Milwaukee had the league's highest point differential, plus 10.9 a game. So the Minnesota Timberwolves, they finally moved on from Jimmy Butler. Jimmy didn't handle the situation very well at all. Uh, they were able to get back Robert Covington and Dario Saric. Saric should really play ahead of Taj Gibson, but Gibson is Tom Thibodeau's adopted son, it seems. So he may end up having to play his trade off the bench, Saric. Carl Anthony Towns cruises through the season. He's cruising through an NBA career when he has far more talent than that. He may find the competitiveness to match his talent now that Butler isn't there because they never get on at all. Derek Rose, his rejuvenation has been one of the stories of the season this year. Can it continue? Does Andrew Wiggins become more than just a trivia question? At the moment, he's got potentially the worst number one pick ever, but he has shown signs of life in the last week that's make you think maybe there might be some hope for him. I don't think they'll make a playoffs in the West, but it's a balanced side and it could improve as the season goes on. Curiously, Derrick Rose ranks 20 spots higher than Carl Anthony Towns in the NBA usage rankings, which is something that must be resolved. The New York Knicks. Well, Chris Stapps Porzingis isn't coming back this season, I wouldn't have thought, and Frank Nilakina has really struggled. Kevin Knox has showed signs in a very young career, but Tim Hardaway Jr. and Ennis Cantor are really the only two guys that new coach Dave Fisdale can rely on. Fisdale hasn't done himself a huge amount of favours with his rotation. He seems to be changing something every night, which is not the best way to handle an NBA roster. They're a surefire bottom five team, which will give them the draft collateral, but it begins and ends with then potentially getting Kevin Durant or maybe Kyrie Irving. Only Steph Curry makes a higher percentage of his field goals as three-pointers than Tim Hardaway Jr. 
the New Orleans Saints. No, sorry, the New Orleans Hornets. Different sport. Where will Anthony Davis go? That's the question. The second question, is Drew Holiday the best NBA player no one talks about? And can Davis, Nikola Mirotic and Julius Randle continue to flourish as a three-headed big man monster? As long as Davis stays fit, it has to be a playoff team. There's no excuse because they can run with and score with anyone, but their defense is terrible. The margin for error they have is very, very, very slim. Now, Davis, who has been well-known as brittle, actually leads the league in minutes played per game, which is an incredible stat. And his teammate, Drew Holiday, is third. We head to Oklahoma City now. So they started 0-4, and Russell Westbrook was injured, and there was a lot of questions about where Oklahoma go. Well, I'll tell you where they've gone. They've gone 10-1 since then. Westbrook missing most of those games, but Paul George and Stephen Adams have been outstanding. They have the second best defensive rating in the league. Dennis Schroeder and Jeremy Grant have been very solid, but Adams, you can't speak highly enough of what George and Adams have done. Westbrook will come back soon, and he may have to play within the offense, which could be a little bit tough. Adams is third in the league in plus minus, and one of only two players in the league averaging a steal and a half and one block per game, the other being Robert Covington. The Orlando Magic. So they currently are inside the playoff picture behind the stellar play of Nikola Vukovic and to a lesser extent Aaron Gordon. Terry Rose, Terry Rose, Terrence Ross has been huge off the bench. They've made do with terrible point guard play. They're generally an efficient team. They rank top five in assist to turnover and assist percentage. But they're eighth last in plus minus. So despite their record being 50-50, things could get worse. Uh, the question really is whether Vukovic is a decent trade asset. And if he's not, and if he stays with Orlando, he's playing in the All-Star game this year. He's the only guy in the league averaging 19 points, 10 rebounds, a steal, a block, and a three-pointer a game. Head to Philadelphia, where Jimmy Butler has arrived amongst great fanfare. And today we saw the value of him. He made a great stop at the end of the game and then hit the game-winning three with a minute left against Charlotte. He gives them a legitimate third star now to go alongside Joel Embiid, who's a legitimate MVP candidate, and Ben Simmons, who's probably started slowly, but having said that, he's a victim of his own standards from last season. JJ Redick is a solid veteran fourth guy, but they need a fifth guy. So when buyouts come in the next couple of months, they'll be looking out for a 3 and D guy because... Outside shooting and defense is a problem. Covington provided both of those things, but with him gone and also Sharic, it was a good move to get the star in Butler, but they need to fill that gap. Their depth is problematic. Unfortunately, second year star, sorry, second year player Markel Fultz is fast becoming an internet meme. Embiid leads the league in player impact estimate, which is the percentage of game events that that player achieved. So his impact is unrivaled this season on the floor. The Phoenix Suns, everyone knew they'd be bad, and they have been, but in Devon Booker, DeAndre Ayton, and TJ Warren, there is massive offensive upside long-term. It is a slow burn, and I think everyone does realize that. One of the strange decisions the coach has made is not playing Booker at point guard. They are playing a traditional point guard in inverted commas, and it's been a disaster for them. So playing Booker as point guard gives them so much more lineup options. 
but they seem intent on him playing as a shooting guard, even though he handles the ball more than most. The Suns have three of the bottom 15 players in the league in defensive rating of those who've played 20 or more minutes a game, being Warren, Ayton, and Trevor Ariza. The Portland Trailblazers, well, they were seemingly written off after getting swept in the first round last year, but they've been very consistent so far this year. They've done it reasonably well. We, we know exactly what we're going to get from Portland. Damian Lillard is an elite top-level NBA player. He's, been, he's only missed 23 games in seven years, but he's carrying a sore knee, and if he were to miss time, then that would cripple this team. CJ McCollum probably overachieved a couple of years ago, so he's settled back into being a good average player. Yusuf Nurkic, similar to Hassan Whiteside, can be great, but is also rotten sometimes. Their hands are tied with their contracts, and they're a good bet to take a low seed, but I think they're an easy playoff out. Having said that, they're one of only two teams in the league that rank in the top seven in both offensive and defensive rating, with the Bucks being the other. And Evan Turner is the only bench player in the league, averaging more than four rebounds and four assists a game. Sacramento Kings, they started strongly, but defensive issues have come home to roost, and of late, they've really hit a bit of a, hit a, bit of a hole. Boyan Bogdanovich is back and will play a key role as an offensive spark plug. De'Aaron Fox, Nemanja Bielitsa, Willie Cauley-Stein, Buddy Heal, those four have been excellent to start the season. Bielitsa probably figures to lose a bit of play. Now Boyan is back. Fox has been spoken of as a cultural changer, and this franchise definitely needs that. I mean, they're most famous for being screwed in the 2002 Western Conference Finals by the NBA and the refs, but the youngsters give a glimmer of hope that those long-suffering fans may finally get a bit of joy. They have no player ranked inside the top 70 in usage and just two inside the top 120, but their most common starting five all rank inside the top 15 in pace. So that they're playing at a brutal breakneck speed, but no one player is dominating the ball. Uh, the San Antonio Spurs, to be honest, the least interesting team in the league. They're nothing like the Spurs that we all came to know and if not love, respect. Derek White offers hope for a strong future and we've seen enough from him to know that he could be a real difference maker. But their issue is that their two best players who are both surefire all-stars in Lamarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan just don't have a history of playing well on a big stage. So even if they did make the playoffs, it'd be hard to see them win a game. For what it's worth, I don't think they'll make the playoffs. I think they'll probably slip as low as 35 wins this year. And for the first time in 20-plus years, it's time to rebuild because they have just three rotation players under 29 years of age, that being Derek White, Bryn Forbes, and Jakob Pertl. Toronto Raptors, they have the best record in the league, and it's behind arguably the most flexible team in the league. We did talk about Milwaukee before, and Milwaukee and Toronto are probably on a par here. Kyle Lowry is playing at a career best level, averaging over 10 assists a game. Danny Green actually fits his Toronto team perfectly. And Kawhi Leonard, I mean, if I'm a Spurs fan, I'm pretty dirty at Kawhi, who seemed to pick and choose last year when he was happy to play. And for a long part of the season, he didn't play at all. But he has been outstanding early on. Um, if you throw Lowry, Green, Leonard, OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam or Serge Ibaka out there, 
it may actually be the best five-man lineup in the league as far as having a chance to contain the Warriors. And I mean, a Toronto-Milwaukee Eastern Conference final could be versatility and flexibility that's been unmatched. Danny Green leads the league in plus-minus for players who play more than two games. The Utah Jazz, they've struggled to an 8-8 eight eight record and they've been very volatile in doing it. It's been very inconsistent. Many, including myself, predicted them to make the conference finals, and they may well do so, but they need to address their defensive issues. They've been well below par, and Donovan Mitchell has reverted to the mean after an outstanding debut season. They had a huge win in Boston tonight on the second leg of night of a back-to-back, -back, a tough Eastern Conference back-to-back, -back, and they ranked 20th in defensive rating after being elite last season, and that, that's where their problems begin and end, to be honest, because offensively they'll do enough. They've conceded over 100 points in 11 of 16 games this season after doing so just six times in their last 29 regular season games last season. So that just shows you how far the defense has slipped. And wrapping it up with the Washington Wizards, rather the Bullets. No, they're the Wizards, yeah. That's a tire fire, to be honest. They're 5-10 and 10, despite having outstanding talent at almost every position. John Wall and Bradley Beal don't complement each other. They should be matching Clay Thompson and Steph Curry as the best backcourt in the league, but they just don't do it often enough. Otto Porter's gone from being the captain of the all-underrated team to someone that struggles to get off the bench in crunch time, and Dwight Howard hasn't had a chance to ruin the Wizards yet, but he's lurking and he's ready. The Wizards are the only side in the league to rank last in rebound percentage and defensive rating. So there's no effort, there's no hustle, and they either need a coaching change, which is the easy solution, or they need to make a big trade. So that's all for this week. Thanks a lot for your time. In the shorter version, uh, we'll be back again next week with another guest, and we'll continue the guest going up until Christmas. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and send through any questions for the pod. You can also find us on Twitter, at KeepUpThePace, and on Facebook, at KeepingUpThePace. Thanks for listening and have a great week.